1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGw Group. boy're prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply.
0: Yo Saturnalia. Yo Saturnalia, can't leave you
1: hanging. <laughs> Hi, it's Jen and Jenny. And we just wanted to take a few minutes to tell you about our patreon. Our Patreon is what helps keep the podcast going. We don't make nearly enough to keep the podcast running without the support of our listeners.
0: Did you know that Patreon subscriptions make the perfect holiday gift? And each subscription helps us keep this podcast going. It helps us keep the lights on. Subscriptions start at $3 a month.
1: I'm not saying I talked to the Perkta about this, but if you got a subscription for yourself or others, I bet she'd go easy on you. Good Lord! (laughs) (laughs) Plus, patrons get... Exclusive extra episodes, early episodes, and your name mentioned at the end of one of our episodes and more. So please consider signing up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ancient history fangirl.
0: That's patreon.com slash ancient history fangirl. Happy holidays.
1: My what big teeth you have, Frau Holly.
0: The better to eat your children with, my dear.
1: I'm Jen McMenemy.
0: And I'm Jenny Williamson.
1: And this is Ancient History Fangirl, the Yuletide edition, where I drink, um, maybe too many white rabbits and tell you something about the holiday season, usually something dark and creepy. And then
0: I have to wheel her home in a wheelbarrow. You're welcome.
1: (laughs) So last year, we introduced you to the Perkta on our Krampus episode. And this year... I think we found one of the most metal and wild Yuletide goddesses yet, Frau Holly. She's so metal. I'm so, and she's so metal. It's a very metal Christmas. Let me explain <laughs> to you. Human sacrifices, spindles and badges, plague, starvation, zombies, caves of offerings and bones, the Grimm's brothers, golden showers. Are any of these putting you in the Yuletide spirit? Well, they should be.
0: Did you say spindles and badges?
1: Yeah, and zombies. Golden showers. (laughs) And the Brothers Grimm.
0: This is going to be nuts. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Yup. We are about to share with you the story of Frau Holly, and this will be your introduction to a very Frau Holly Christmas.
0: Spindles and badges, you guys. It's the reason for the season.
1: (laughs) Do not put a spindle in your badge. We're not advocating that.
0: I mean, look, I'm not the boss of you. I'm not going to tell you what to put in your vag and what not to put in your vag. That's your business. That's not my business. Business.
1: That's it's not my decision to make. It's not our decision to make. We're just not advocating it. <laughs> we're not liable for what you do or don't do on your own extracurricular time. Anyway, let's get back on track. We're already derailed and we're not even through page one. Right. Frau Holly is the perfect goddess to cover this year because
0: I love it when you're trashed and trying to keep us on track. That's my favorite. (laughs)
1: Uh, To be very clear, we recorded a bunch of other things before we started this episode, so I might be most of the way through my first white rabbit, which could be dangerous. But anyway, and white rabbits are a drink, not an actual rabbit.
0: She feels the need to point that out every time. (laughs) (laughs) I do.
1: Anyway, Frau Holly is a perfect goddess to cover this year because she fits right into our theme of ancient mysteries. Because she is kind of a mystery, a really spooky, fascinating, yuletide mystery, and I am here for it. We know some things about her, but a lot of her origins are open to discussion. And that's because she comes down to us through the migration period.
0: Oh my god. Jen, this is my jam. This is my jam. I know.
1: That's why I gave you this paragraph about it.
0: <laughs> so before we get too into the story of Frau Holly, I'm just going to take us down a little side quest and talk about my absolute favorite topic ever. Ever. The migration period. <laughs> it's a very alaric Christmas. <laughs> the migration period refers to the time frame around the fall of the Western Roman Empire. So the 300s to 568 AD roughly, is referred to as the migration period in Europe. During this time, there was a lot of, you guessed it, moving around and migrating amongst particularly the Vandals, the Franks, the Goths, my people, the Goths, the alamanni the Alans, the Huns, the early Slavs. We got the Typhals in here. You left them out. The Pannonian Avars, the Magyars, the Bulgars. Good Lord, the Thracians, the Huns again, because somebody has to say the Huns. The Huns
1: are in here. <laughs>
0: It's just so exciting to see them all here in this paragraph together. Together
1: as friends, migrating around this area of the world.
0: (laughs) Friends and enemies, frenemies, depending, you know. Anyway, so many of these people were displaced because of the Roman Empire and the Huns. These are people who had, in some points, been colonized and resettled as part of the Roman Empire, serving in their legions or as part of their federati. This was a time of intense movement and upset and change, particularly amongst the people living in the Balkans, the Alps, Cisalpine Gaul, Germany, and Scandinavian countries. And
1: what happened was, you guessed it, an intense amount of cultural exchange and cultural loss. Because of the rapid expansion of the Roman Empire, there was a lot of cultural change.
0: The rapid expansion of the Roman Empire had happened prior to this by hundreds of years. So these were all people who had dealt with this prior to the migration period. And then the migration period, well, I have a rant. I'll go on the rant.
1: Don't worry. She has a rant. But essentially, as the Roman Empire was, was expanding over, and uh, in, in the rapid expansion, as Jenny said, happened a couple hundred years earlier. But because of this rapid expansion, we're in the place we are now.
0: I love how we're now drunk and talking about this. This is the best. (laughs) It's my favorite thing to do drunk.
1: (laughs) It is. This is why we started the podcast. Literally. It literally is. (laughs) So hang on. Because of this, let me get back onto it. So because of this rapid expansion, over time, people and beliefs were upended. And sometimes the old gods and old customs were forgotten, which had been happening for hundreds of years prior to this because Romans were invading Germanic and Celtic territory and everywhere else. Arminius would like a word about this, and so would Ariovistus.
0: Those are both Germanic people who show up in our, basically, you know, our serieses, serieses, our is that we've done in the past, hundreds of years prior to this happening. These were both people who encountered the Roman Empire. Go back and listen to our Julius Caesar episodes and our episodes on the ancient world Stark family, Alaric of Visigoths. We've talked about this before. It's kind of back in our back catalog right now. I will say that, like, what Jen's saying is so true. Like, researching the book that I'm writing about Alaric of the Visigoths, which is extremely, it's is an occasionally true story,
1: all right? Yeah, it's like the great, the TV series, but in book form uh, about Alaric in the migration period.
0: <laughs> I was like, oh, everything I put in this book is wrong, and I guess I'm just going to plow ahead. So basically, it's I, I did a bunch of research into what Germanic religious customs were, and it's super hard to find that. I mean, really what I wind up doing is grafting on scandinavian stuff which may or may not have even been true you know so what jen has done is super important to me in my heart which is uncover a genuine germanic goddess that is not necessarily norwegian or scandinavian or from the vikings
1: of like a thousand years later and you guys can't see me but jenny can i'm doing a little dance if she just asked me to do this from the start when she was doing her research she would have all the gods in the pantheon Just leave it to the girl who wishes she was a mythographer or a folklorist. Anyway, during this period, there was a lot of cultural loss and cultural exchange. And the old gods and the old customs kind of were forgotten or lost, or they were folded into the new Roman customs. And as we've talked about many times in this podcast, the Romans had no problems with local people worshipping their own gods. They kind of used it as one of their pillars of colonization. They just sort of combined those gods with their own gods, either folding the original god into the Roman pantheon, think Artemis, Bendis, Diana, or Venus and Aphrodite, or allowing them to exist alongside the Roman religion, as long as the conquered people also paid lip service to the Roman gods. So we're all going to pause for a minute and let Jenny tell us about her one and only true love, Alaric of the Visigoths. Oh my gosh, do I get to do the rant? (laughs) You get to do the rant. You've been trying to interrupt with this rant for so long, and I was like, but I carefully put it into this episode, Drunk Jenny. Calm down.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'm going to do my drunken rant about Alarica the Visigoths that I might actually do in a bar sometime and that all of my friends have heard. All right, we picture the migration period. Picture this with me. The Huns came sweeping in from the east and pushed the Typhals on the Goths, the Goths on the Romans. This is where Alaric's people were forced off of Puce Island, which means Pine Tree Island, in the Danube and pushed across the river. The Goths were forced across the Danube. This is where hundreds, nay, thousands of Gothic families died in that river trying to cross, trying to cross in hollow logs and just, you know, swimming across and it's a really, it's a really big river. That's a bad idea. This is where the Emperor Valentinian, I think it's the guy before Theodosius the Great, made elaborate promises about giving land to the refugees only to put them in refugee camps indefinitely, where their guards sold their food and they themselves were forced to sell their children into slavery or starve. This is when the Goths broke out of that refugee camp and went on a rage-and-grief-fueled rampage all across Eastern Europe, breaking like a wave against the walls of Constantinople, and it was this— That was the backdrop of Alaric of the Visigoths' rise and eventual sack of Rome one generation later. Don't mind me. I'm just freaking out over the fact that I get to talk about Alaric one more time. And you know what? You know what? He possibly would have known about Frau Holly. He was an Arian Christian.
1: I think he would have known about Frau Holly, and I kind of think she would have had a crush on him. I have a whole theory. Wait until you know more about her, and we will go a little bit further into it, because She's got some metalness to her, and so does Alaric of the Visigoths. But let's just let's get there. I have crafted this episode to unspool in a certain way, and I don't want to spoil anything.
0: <laughs> I get even more of a paragraph. Okay, <laughs> so many of these cultures, Alaric's cultures, didn't write down their religious practices. I mean, look, a lot of people were Christian by this time, but there was still a lot of non-Christian beliefs underpinning that. They didn't write down the names of their gods or the stories of their gods. And that's definitely something I ran into when doing the research in my book. It's really hard to find, at least for me. I mean, maybe there are people out there who know all this stuff. I am just a mere Manhattan copywriter.
1: (laughs) No Hugo nominations.
0: No Hugo nominations as of yet. Yeah. So basically, um, what happened was that a lot of these older Germanic gods from the migration period and prior. The Goths and other Germanic peoples were affected by genocide at the hands of the Romans. A lot of their beliefs were kind of erased or appropriated. Later on, they were kind of grafted onto Norse gods, so, like, meaning that many of the original Germanic deities were lost. And their stories, as I said, they just kind of became jumbled up with the Norse gods, the Roman gods, fairy tales and folk tales, other local gods from different regions. It's really hard to parse out. What the original beliefs
1: were. It really is. And it's one of those things that, to be honest with you, is one of my favorite things to do. I think it's maybe something I have a little bit of a talent at. It's one of those things I kind of got to explore a little bit earlier this year when I did the research for Aokigahara, the Japanese suicide forest. Like, I really love the intersection of history and mythology and what they tell us about culture and what they tell us about the overlap of the two. So, Yeah. The stories are there if you know where to look for them, and I frequently do, weirdly enough. And Frau Holly's story is one of those stories that is hidden inside a modern folk fairy tale and traces its roots all the way back, maybe, to an original German mater or mother goddess. And her history is kind of wild, and I'm here for it.
0: Alaric would know about this. I feel like I'm connecting to him right now. We're having coffee. My first date with Alaric of the Visigoths at
1: a Starbucks. (laughs) It wouldn't be a Starbucks. It would be like some lovely place in the Alps, like with like hot cocoa, maybe like ski lifts in the background of a beautiful mountain that's snow capped. Good Lord. (laughs) So Jenny, as I mentioned, I've structured this in a very specific way. Let's start with the not too distant past, which is surprising for our podcast with two brothers who were traveling around Germany collecting fairy tales. You may have heard of them, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. They were chroniclers of folk tales and fairy tales, particularly German fairy tales. I always remembered their fairy tales growing up as the scary ones. They gave you all the gory details, and sometimes there weren't happily ever afters. The story of the juniper tree still remains with me to this day, and it's kind of a psychic scar for me like it's it's a real dark one
0: i don't know that one doesn't someone get beheaded
1: yeah i think i might do a patreon on it i know like it's not ancient history but it kind of ties into what we did here i will tell you the story maybe drunkenly of the juniper tree in the patreon it's dark but it's this real darkness that young jen was drawn to it's what i loved because anything could happen Unlike Hans Christian Andersen stories, these were stories where the good weren't always rewarded. And, you know, this was a place where the baddies were really bad and did horrible things. I can still remember I had this very old copy that my mother got for me and inscribed for me. I have no idea where it is now. And I read it cover to cover. And it wasn't illustrated. My Hans Christian Andersen one was illustrated. But the stories just drew me in. And I was a really slow reader. And it took me a long time to learn to read. So the idea that I read this entire huge, thick book, that's how captivated I was.
0: So Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm wanted to put together a definitive collection of fairy tales from around Germany. They were, you know, on the Alaric of the Visigoths beat. They wanted to go way, way back. And while they traveled collecting these tales, the story says that they met Henriette Dorothea Wilde. In 1812, Henriette introduced the brothers to the story of Frau Holly. And it's safe to say she was a good storyteller because Wilhelm would go on to marry her in 1825. And Jen did a little bit of a deep dive into the Brothers Grimm and was astonished. I'm speaking for you right now. You were astonished by what she found out.
1: Yeah, so I I really was astonished. I hadn't done too much of a look at them as chroniclers or mythographers or folklorists, but... I mean, I grew up a relatively sheltered American, and I kind of only knew about the Brothers Grimm's as guys who wrote down fairy tales.
0: Yeah, but in Germany, they're known for a lot more than just the fairy tales. Jacob Grimm was a librarian, linguist, politician, and author. Together with his brother, they collected not just the fairy tales of Germany, but also the epic poems and mythology. Jacob Grimm was fascinated by language and how language worked. He put forward a case that Frau Holly might actually have once been an ancient goddess. In his research, he found that the Frau Holly figure might actually once have been a mother goddess, a sky goddess, and just in general an all-powerful badass goddess. But through the ages, she had become sort of pushed aside. Part of it had to do with when the Norse pantheon and stories arrived in Germany, and the other part had to do with her stories being lost. She became conflated with Frigg. Frigg is the wife of Odin in Norse mythology, right? Am I remembering that right? Yes, correct. And she went from being an all-powerful goddess to a witch, then to a creature known of only in fairy tales and folk tales. In short, she was stripped of her power and her place in mythology as the Norse gods, and eventually the Christian religion became worshipped across Germany, Scandinavia, Austria, and other parts of Europe.
1: Yeah, but she didn't disappear. Not really. She was always hiding inside these other religions and folk stories. And there are so many stories about Frau Holly. She's incredibly famous in Germany and Austria. If you go onto YouTube looking for a documentary about her, which I did. I, I like a good documentary to start things off when I'm doing my research.
0: I mean, isn't that how we describe ourselves in our original bios? Is like we're just a couple of randos who watch a lot of documentaries. <laughs> 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 That's our qualification for having this podcast. Not untrue. But one humble Manhattan copywriter. No Hugo <laughs> Award, And a BA
1: in writing (laughs) however if you go onto youtube looking for a documentary about frau holly you find a collection of fairy tales in german telling the most popular story of frau holly and while there are lots of other stories we're just going to focus on this one fairy tale as it was compiled by the brothers Grimm, because that fairy tale might give us a clue to the real frau holly the ancient goddess who was worshipped before all of the German pantheon? Who was worshipped before Woden, Thor, Freya, or Loki? And who today is finally being found again amongst the fragments of other fairy and folk tales? Because once Christianity became the dominant religion, that is where the pagan deities and worship of them hid in the fairy tales and rural folk stories. These stories kept alive the old gods, the old legends, and allowed them to continue to breathe a new life and find new believers. And this is where you have to start your tale of Frau Holly these days. Because in the modern world, this is where our goddess lives, as a fairy tale, a sort of sometimes good and sometimes bad witch who is associated with Christmas and winter. Frau Holly's most famous story involves spinning, bleeding, and a golden shower. And if you're wondering how excited Jenny is by this summary, the answer is a lot. It's a lot. You totally are. When I told you about the golden shower, you were like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Like, excuse me? Excuse me? Wait, why? Why is this in a fairy tale? It's not that kind of a golden shower. Well,
0: you know, Mithras did make you drink the Emperor's pee, so this, you know, I see the connection here between Christmas and pee
1: drinking and golden showers. (laughs) You're you're not wrong. Also, I'm the one who brought us the Mithras episode. (laughs) This is like our second pee-centric episode about the holidays. There actually isn't any pee in this, but there is something else that's worse. Anyway.
0: You're about to tell me a fairy tale about Frau Holly, right, Jen? A fairy tale that Alaric might indeed have heard in his lifetime.
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, Alaric overlaps with sort of Christianity coming in, in. So possibly this might have been a version of it that he would have heard. He might have heard an older version. But let me tell you the version that we know. So an industrious young girl lived with her widowed stepmother and stepsister. She was excited to have a stepmother and stepsister. Like, she's like, hey, this is good. I have a family. But her stepmother didn't treat her great. She made her do all the housework and didn't give her the love and affection that she gave to her other daughter. Are you feeling Cinderella vibes here? You should, because this is very much a fairy tale trope.
0: Oh, I absolutely am feeling Cinderella vibes. So one day, the girl was sitting by a well and pricked her finger on her spindle which is now giving me Sleeping Beauty vibes. She accidentally dropped the spindle into the well. She was scared that her stepmother would punish her for losing the spindle, so she jumped into the well. I mean, how awful must her stepmother have been to this poor kid to make her think jumping into a well was the right move here? I I feel bad for the kid.
1: Right? Can you imagine, like, oh, I've lost a spindle. It's better that I jump into a well that I may not be able to get out of to find said spindle. Then confess to my stepmother that I've lost a spindle.
0: So anyway, this terrified girl jumps into a well and she finds herself not dead or injured, but passing through the water and emerging into another world. And this actually is giving me really ancient Celtic and British vibes because there is like sort of a, an Iron Age British and Celtic religion that we don't know that much about that has to do with water as a liminal space. I mean, there's a lot of tossing of broken swords and artifacts and even putting bodies into bodies of water. As a way to offer them to the gods who were seen as being in this other world that you could get to via water.
1: And you should be getting those vibes. You should be. Because there's something in this fairy tale that's going back further and further to the Celtic and Germanic influences, which definitely would have crossed in this area.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, in this story, the girl passes through water and emerges into another world. In this world, she smells fresh baking bread and passes an oven. The bread asks her to take it out of the oven, it's talking bread, and she does. It is, it's like, oh, please don't let me burn, please don't let me burn! Well, she's like, okay. She's (laughs) like, I don't want you
1: to burn, I think that would be bad.
0: (laughs) She then passes an apple orchard, and the apple trees beg to be harvested, please, please harvest us, please, we're so ripe, we're gonna fall on the ground and get eaten by turkeys or something. And the girl is like, talking apples need my help, okay. Okay. Let's get my harvest on. Why did I say it like that? I don't know. I did
1: write it like that. Nobody asked you to say it like that, though. <laughs> I think the whiskey asked me to say it like that. <laughs> Guys, this might be a Yule-level drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm also not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so this girl, she's a stranger in a strange land. She's going to do what the talking foodstuffs ask her to do. Maybe this is just how the world works, right? So she harvests all the apples, she puts them into a neat pile, she moves on with her life. Finally, she comes upon the cabin of an old woman with very big teeth. Not sure why the big teeth are such a detail here, but they are, okay? And we have a theory about that, which we'll get to later. So the old woman tells the girl not to be afraid, but to come in, have some bread. I don't know, was the bread crying about being eaten?
1: Different bread.
0: Different bread, not the talking bread, possibly. And you know, hang out and do chores for me. If you work hard, I'll reward you. And the girl is like, okay, that sounds like a plan. I'm in a strange world. This lady's being nice to me. All she wants is my free child labor. I'm good with that. This is kind of proto-capitalist, though, too.
1: (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) So the girl stays and does her free child labor. Her most important task is to shake out the woman's feather bed. Because that makes it snow across all the world. That's what the, the, the woman tells her. And she's like, okay, that seems like I have to do that right.
0: Not just the world that she's in, but the world above, right?
1: The world above and everywhere. And the girl does a great job. But after a while, she gets homesick. And the old woman is like, okay, you're a hard worker. And I appreciate you. So I'll let you go home. And she sends the girl back to her world. She returns the girl's lost spindle because, thank goodness, we were all wondering what happened to it and how she could face her stepmother, who she's been away from for quite some time without this spindle.
0: It's the spindle that the stepmother would be really concerned about, clearly.
1: Clearly. (laughs) The old woman escorts the girl through her gate, and as the girl crosses the gate to her home, a shower of gold falls upon her. Yes, Jenny, it's a golden shower. An actual shower of gold, not Zeus, not we. Not
0: the emperor's pea.:
1: <laughs> Not the emperor's pee.
0: I'm so disappointed. I, look, we all know what the real treasure is here, Jen. The friends we met along the way? No, the emperor's pea.
1: To each their own. <laughs>
0: it's psychedelic.
1: Anyway, this literal gold that the girl is given in a form of a shower is her reward for all of her hard work. The girl's stepmother was like, Hey! Where have you been, and why have you been showered in gold? And so the girl tells her this wild story. And the stepmother believes it, because, you know, the girl came home with the golden shower. (laughs) As one does. So the stepmother begins to form a plan. She's like, I have another daughter. I want my other daughter to also get a golden shower.
0: Make of that what you will, people.
1: I'm going to, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to encourage her. To go to that well and visit this woman from another world.
0: But the stepsister isn't as hard of a worker as the other girl here. She's lazy. She's a slacker. Instead of losing her spindle, she pricks her finger and throws the spindle into the well deliberately on purpose. And then jumps right in after it. She also finds herself in the other world. But she fails to do the chores that she's assigned. She doesn't help the poor burning bread. She leaves the apples to rot in the orchard despite their increasingly strident pleas. And when she meets the old woman, she does a real half assed job shaking out that bed. Let me tell you what. The girl decides she wants to go home, thinking she'll be getting a golden shower upon her return, because it's like physics, right? This is what happens. But the old woman does not give her a golden shower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: so happy I gave you this paragraph.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't get a golden shower. Instead, she gets a shower of pitch as a reward for her quote unquote hard work. She tells her that a shower of pitch is all she's earned. Ouch. Burning pitch would like singe your skin off. So that would be unfun.
1: Yeah. And again, the moral of the story is work hard, be rewarded. Don't work hard. Get punished.
0: And again, that's super capitalist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's also like a message to girls and women, like work hard at domestic duties for which you're not paid and then eventually you will get paid capriciously via golden shower, theoretically.
1: Who knows what kind of golden shower?
0: Just accept what you get, kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have seen an alternate version where the girls get their showers, <laughs> where the girls get their, their two different showers. But also every time the good sister speaks, a diamond falls from her lips. And every time the lazy sister speaks, A toad falls from her lips. And I'm like, one of them is going to have so many diamonds, they'll have literally no value. And the other one is just going to be like, I got toads. So many toads.
0: Who needs a toad? I hope
1: they're psychedelic toads because she could have a whole other business.
0: Listen, if you need to lick a toad, you know where to go.
1: To this girl. So, So yeah, Holly, Frau Holly, aka the old woman, rewards those who are hard workers. And as I mentioned earlier, the moral is really simple. Work hard and you'll be rewarded. It's very German. Be industrious and you'll get a reward. It's also very much a fairy tale trope. Weirdly capitalist. Weirdly about sort of morals and virtue and somewhat Christian.
0: Specifically targeted towards women. So kind of upholding the patriarchy here because women's unpaid labor upholds capitalism.
1: True. But think about the people who would have heard this. It wouldn't just be women. It would also be boys. There are also tropes in fairy tales that are geared towards boys about being industrious workers, about boys who aren't, you know, who are slackers, essentially, or who are off, like, gathering, well, they don't get rewarded in the same way. There's a whole, there's another whole uh, section of fairy tales where boys kind of also get comeuppance for not being industrious. Boys also get to have more adventures than girls do. Fairy tales are my jam. I could go on and all about all the tropes, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm just going to say that this particular motif is repeated again and again, particularly in German fairy tales. Now, what you're probably asking yourselves is, how does this fairy tale tie into our goddess, Holly? And this is actually the right question, because this folktale shows us what happened to Frau Holly with the advent of Christianity. She was pushed into the margins, remembered only as a cautionary folk creature. But her story goes back a lot farther, and it's a lot grimmer. Come on, Grimm brothers.
0: It takes a real dark turn, you guys.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's
0: chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis?
0: So Frau Holly is relegated to a witch in folk tales like the one we just told you. But once upon a time, she was a supreme sky goddess. And this is a quote from MotherGod.com in their article called "Frau Holly: The Supreme Mother God in Fairy Tale Tradition." Quote: We should also note that the earliest patriarchal supreme gods such as Indra and Varuna were also sky gods, and that weather goddesses were patriarchalized. Is that a word? Patriarchalized as supreme gods such as Jupiter and Zeus. We might indeed suspect that in Frau Holly, we have a fairy tale memory of the sky mother or- or- Orania, the celestial Tame. Is this? I don't know who that is. Is that Urania, the ancient Greek sky goddess?
1: Uranus, Urania, or Uranus, is, is definitely a male god. Remember? Castration foam, bits get cut off.
0: Yeah, but there's a, there's a female version of that.
1: Oh, maybe that's who it is.
0: I don't know a lot about it, but I think what they're saying in mothergod.com is that there were initially female sky goddesses that were transformed into sky gods as part of establishing the patriarchy.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: So this conjecture is confirmed by the archaeologist Professor Marija Gimbutis. I'm so sorry to this person whose name I just butchered. Who names Hulda or Hulda or Hala or Holly as having originally been an ancient Germanic supreme goddess who predates most of the German pantheon. Oh my god, that's amazing including deities such as Odin, Thor, Freya, and Loki, who were really Nordic, continuing traditions of pre-Indo-European Neolithic Europe. When Christianity slowly replaced Scandinavian paganism during the early Middle Ages, many of the old customs were gradually lost or assimilated into Catholic tradition. By the end of the High Middle Ages, Scandinavian paganism was almost completely marginalized and blended into rural folklore, in which the character of Mother Hulda, eventually survived, not only in the fairy tale, but in other folk traditions in the Germanic world. That's so fascinating.
1: I know, right? I wanted to include this because people a lot smarter than me have made this argument, and people who've done a lot more research than me have made this argument, right? They've drawn the same conclusion that I reached. Frau Holly or Holly. I always feel like calling her Frau Holly is like calling her like a mother or like Lady Holly. And then I'm like, is that right? I don't know. She does deserve respect. So maybe.
0: You know what? Be safe and give her the give her the most respectful title just in case. Absolutely. So
1: Frau Holly, (laughs) this folk character was once an ancient goddess whose stories were preserved in the rural folk tales of Germanic, Scandinavian, Austrian, Alpine and other people. But in order to trace that story, we have to look at what Frau Holly was the goddess of in ancient times. So Frau Holly, or Hulda or Hulda or Halla was a sky goddess. She controlled the weather, just like Thor. And that's where a lot of this conjecture comes from, right? Thor controlled storms. So Frau Holly does as well, the snow. She is particularly associated with winter weather and snow. She
0: shakes out her bedclothes and the snow falls throughout the land.
1: That's still like like a colloquial saying in different areas, like Alpine areas. People will say when it's snowing, oh, Frau Holly is shaking out her bed. Frau Holly was also able to fly across the sky, typically on a wagon. And that has like connections to in some like Viking cultures and like Norse cultures, I've seen it connected to like the ways in which like funerary barges and stuff were laid out. I didn't go down a huge deep dive in this because I just wanted to be focused because this is our focus season. I'm drunk and I don't want someone to tell me online I got this wrong, but I did find this. Anyway, so typically she flies on a wagon, but I've also seen her flying across the sky on her distaff. And I wanted to stop for a minute and tell you what a distaff looks like. A distaff kind of looks like a broom. It's a tool used for spinning that holds the unspun fibers, keeping them in place and presumably untangled. But seriously, it looks like a broom. Like, Google it. <laughs> like Distaffs were also carried by Dionysus and his maenads. These were made of fennel stalks with a pine cone on top and ribbons. I'm just bringing this up because this witch sort of imagery, this women with power and agency carrying distaffs, seems to have a common root that is back way deep in the ancient worship. Frau Holly could make it snow across the land, as we've said, by shaking out her feather mattress. She could bring warmth and sunshine to the fields or a good harvest simply by flying over it at the right time of year.
0: I might be like, you know, possibly drunkenly ranting, non-sensically. non, non- like. Sensically, nonsensically (laughs) nonsensically about something but I feel like there's something to be unpacked here about women being shown flying on distaffs or brooms like these are implements of women's subjugation like they're implements of housework that are traditionally tied to women as women's work and here the woman is subverting that by using it as an instrument of freedom and it kind of speaks to me of a fear of women, even though they are domesticated. Like a woman will never completely be domesticated. And I feel like that has to go way back to like when the patriarchy was established.
1: Sure. And I would say the thing about distaffs, brooms and again, the mayonads, pine pinecone thursus that they carry, right? When they are essentially reversed, the distaff bits at the bottom, right? It's an implement of service and subjugation, but when they, you flip it so that the broom is up top and the pine cone is at the top and the distaff is at the top, they become something by which women can fly on and have freedom. It's essentially like if every woman picked up her broom and instead of using it to sweep, turned it the other way and realize the situation she was in, the power she had, what would happen.
0: I wonder, though, if there's something here about selling the patriarchy to women by giving them an implement of the patriarchy and trying to persuade them it can also be an implement of freedom.
1: Hmm. Potentially. I mean, I know that the Mayonads carried around their dick sticks, and those Mayonads could not be tamed. So I do wonder if there is something here with these other distaffs when they are being held and used essentially as staffs or instruments for flying that is about freedom that they don't have normally in their life.
0: So Frau Holly is sometimes considered to be the same goddess as Perkta in that she is a goddess of two forms. Although it has been said that Frau Holly might be a triple formed goddess. Uh, A little more on that later. She can appear as bright and beautiful or motherly or as a terrifying crone or witch. Her two forms are called Good lord, I cannot say this. Um
1: Dunkelgoodmother
0: <laughs> Ooh, good
1: job. Groupmother.
0: Dark grandmother is what that means.
1: And Dunkel Grubmother and Weisse Frau. The White Lady. Wow, you speak German. No, I just I can do some things. So like the Perkta,
0: she cares a lot about how industrious you are. She judges you, ladies, all the time for your output. Particularly how much spinning you get done. But I would say that Frau Holly and Perkta might seem similar, but they're actually quite different.
1: I did see some some places saying that they're the same goddess. But when I was doing my research last year, I didn't find nearly the same stories about Perkta as I found about Holly. So I think they might have like kind of the same role in Yule festivals, but in other areas of their mythology, they are vastly different.
0: Yeah, so in mythology, Holly is the original wife of Woden, or Odin. I think Woden is like the original Germanic name for this god. And she's the one who commands the wild hunt. She drives the dark spirits, demons, and monsters out onto the winter winds and leads them on their chase across the skies. She's the one who commands this host, not Woden. She's the one with the power. And she knows How to wield
1: it. Frau Holly is the goddess who receives all the babies who die in infancy. Later, when Christianity begins to appear in folk and fairy tales, Frau Holly receives all the babies who die before they're baptized. Gotta make that distinction. But the original stories say that she is the one who watches over all the babies who die as infants or sometimes small children. She's a goddess of children. In particular, she looks after them in the cold winter months. She's a domestic goddess much like Perkta. She is all about that spinning. She rewards those who finish all their spinning before Mother's Night or the start of the 12 days of Yule. Holly's Night was allegedly December 25th, although I've also seen her associated with Mother's Night, which in some sources was December 21st. It's a little little wonky here, or at least what I found in English is a little contradictory. I read that this is because there was a belief that during the 12 days of Yule, all spinning and housework was supposed to stop. This was supposed to be a time outside the spinning of the wheel, or a time when the great cosmic wheel, if you will, stopped spinning. This was the time of year when the veil between the worlds was thin. And when the world literally stopped spinning, everything was supposed to pause, to take a breath and recalibrate, reflect on the work that was done in the previous year, Rest, relax, and feast. Although, let's be honest, as someone who's cooked many a Christmas dinner, someone had to do all the cooking and cleaning involved in that feasting. I mean, I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, but you're supposed to just do it invisibly and not complain about it.
1: Invisibly, exactly. You're not laboring at all. And, you know, in modern parlance, at least here in the UK, some businesses still close between Christmas and New Year, and they call that sort of Twixmas. Which is the period between Christmas and New New Year where like essentially everything kind of stops and you have an extended holiday. I never experienced that until I moved over here. And it is one of those things that weirdly I have come to really love. It's this time where everything kind of slows down. You get to kind of remember what it was like when you were a kid in between, you know, having to rush from one thing to another. And time kind of does feel real liminal. The first time you experience it, it's very weird and very, very much a throwback feeling. I remember constantly saying like, what do you mean you're not open? What do you mean you're not open? Do you want me to come in? No, no, we're not open. Anyway, women were supposed to have all their spinning done before Mother's Night, and they weren't allowed to spin during the entirety of Yule. And we talked about this in the Krampus episode. The consequences for not getting your work done were dire. Perkta, the belly slitter, would sneak into your home and slit open your belly. And Holly does something similar. She sneaks into your home and beats you with stinging nettles. Holly also punishes naughty children. And if you try to cheat Holly or Jenny Williamson by spinning late into the night over Yule or working really late on your episode when it was supposed to be in like earlier, she punishes you just the same. Holly is a goddess who is like, you will be done with your work at the agreed hour and you will relax now. Essentially, she wouldn't approve of me. So, so Holly is me. So, Holly is definitely you. I feel like she would have a real unhealthy attachment to Alaric of the Visigoths, much like you. <laughs> I feel called out. <laughs> you should feel called out. So, let me tell you what happens if you actually
0: stick to your deadlines and turn in your episodes when you say you will. <laughs> 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 if you're good... Holly is just sweetness and light. She sweeps out your home. Sometimes she leaves behind a stinging nettle as a mark of good fortune and to tell you she visited still with the stinging nettles, though. does the same whether you did it right or not.
1: Do you know why she does that? It's just so you know, I've been here. I judged you. I found you not lacking.
0: I could beat you with this, but I'm not gonna. That's the message. It's a flex. You know, I respect and appreciate a goddess who knows a good flex when she sees one. That's all. So there's also a custom of eating a meal of oat cakes and pickled herring. (laughs) That sounds sounds real Scandinavian to me. It sounds extremely Scandinavian. So a plate is always left out for holly as an offering, kind of like Santa Claus, except with pickled herring instead of cookies.
1: Yeah, which is so Scandinavian. I wonder if there is some cultural exchange here.
0: Yeah, and also, did this offering of oat cakes and pickled herring have maybe a much darker and ancient root? Hold on to that thought for a little bit. We may circle back to it, or maybe we'll drunkenly forget. I don't know. Hold on to it.
1: Oh, we circle back. It's in the script.
0: So during this time, there's a tradition of shaking out an apple tree. This is supposed to bring about a good harvest during the next year. Frau Holly also has a slightly different form in Bohemia. She is called Spilla Holly or Spindleholly. And in Bohemia, spinning was banned during the night of St. Thomas, which was December 21st. Interestingly, Mother's Night, I thought that was December 25th. I guess it depends.
1: No, Mother's Night is the 21st, but Holly's Night is somehow conflated with the 25th. It was a little little funky.
0: Anyway, the night of St. Thomas ties into the more ancient Mother's Night, which also is, according to the sources Jen found, on the 21st of December. And also, the 21st of December is the winter solstice. Coincidence? I think
1: not. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, kids. Exactly. Coincidence? Is this when the wild hunt is going? Is this when it's all going down?
0: Is this when the women led the wild hunt? Is this when the mother, the mater? The mater goddess? The sky goddess? The sky goddess led the wild hunt? I think it was. Anyway, in this incarnation, she's kind of an evil... Boogie woman. If a child is still spinning on the 21st, then when the evening winter winds are howling, Spindle Holly will appear and either kill the child or take them away and probably kill them. Dark, scary. And Jen has seen some people saying that because this version of Holly isn't dual natured, then she should be considered a separate goddess from Perkta, right?
1: Yeah, this Spindle Holly should be considered separate because she's not dual natured. I've seen um, some sources say that because, like, she doesn't have the dual nature, that maybe she's a separate regional localized goddess and not associated with Frau Holly. But I don't agree. I think they both came from the same root.
0: One piece of evidence for that is that you can see in this story the importance of spindles and punishments. And that makes us think that Spindle Holly and Frau Holly are the same and come from that same common ancient mater goddess root.
1: Frau Holly might have passed into the realm of folklore, but there was a lot of work done by the Christian religion to put her there. Because Frau Holly was the bane of the early Catholic church. She was very much associated with witchcraft and witches. Because of her flying across the sky, her ability to control the weather, her supreme mother goddess roots made her a figure that terrified the church. She was a goddess that women worshipped, who looked out for women and children. She was a goddess of the sky and also liminal spaces like ponds, lakes, and rivers. She was also a goddess of fertility. She had the ability to send the snows which froze the ground, but she could also wake up the earth. She could nurture seeds by dropping them from her wagon or distaff. When she flew over the ground in the winter, particularly on December 25th, the seeds that she dropped would grow into bountiful harvests in the future. And this power, this rebirth and fertility, was scary for the early church. There was one dude associated with that power, and that was Dionysus. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, sorry. It was Sweet Baby Bisexual Jesus.
0: That's right. So, Frau Holly had to be taken down many pegs. She had to be demonized and turned into an evil witch. Crone of time, (laughs) hag of
1: doom. Crone, hag of doom.
0: And worship of her had to be punished. In the 9th century AD, the canon Episcopi, which is a medieval church doctrine, tells of women being censured from, quote, riding with witches, because that's a thing ladies did. And this is later followed up in Burchard of Worm's canon. This is another church writing or doctrine in a section called De Arte Magica. Hold up. The Catholics have something to say. Everyone stop what you're doing and listen. Quote, How do you believe there is some female whom the stupid vulgar call Hulda? In some manuscripts, Strigum Holdum, the witch Hulda, who is able to do a certain thing such that those deceived by the devil affirm themselves by necessity and by command to be required to do, that is, with a crowd of demons transformed into the likeness of women on fixed nights to be required to ride upon certain beasts, and to themselves be numbered in their company. If you have performed participation in this unbelief, you are required to do penance for one year on designated fast days. So, let's stop for a minute because we've now hit the full-on demonization of Frau Holly. And to be fair, we haven't even gotten into the human sacrifice yet. Just you wait. So let's break down what this passage is saying and what it tells us about the early inroads of the Catholic Church in Germanic cultures. First, women were going to keep worshipping Frau Holly. Like, you could keep trying to make patriarchy fetch. But (laughs) you weren't going to manage it if that meant you took away Holly, right?
1: No, Holly was here to stay in some form or another.
0: It tells me that there was there was an underground resistance to the patriarchy going on that they were trying to stamp out.
1: Absolutely. It tells us that men were terrified of women, even in this case, sleeping women.
0: Yeah, because it's all about what women do while they're sleeping via some kind of astral projection, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Uh, This passage explains that sometimes demons took on the likeness of women and went out and cavorted in the night while those women were sleeping. And this is, again, where you get that sort of image of women riding distaffs, which very much look like brooms, and all gathering under the cover of darkness to do who knows what. What were they up to? I mean, sweet baby bisexual Jesus and Dionysus, they were plotting overthrowing the patriarchy very clearly. That's what the Romans told us.
0: I think that's obvious.
1: So, I read in other places that your wife, sleeping right next to you, could send her spirit, as Jenny said, off to astral project and worship Holly. Meaning that your wife, who's sleeping right next to you... Might be right next to you in body, but her spirit was off being naughty in the woods. Hmm. Hmm, where have we seen that before? Dionysus, Maine are calling. It
0: just seems like patriarchal cultures everywhere are terrified of women in the woods. So,
1: as we said, what does this tell us? Men are, as Jenny said, terrified of women. They were terrified of the power that women wielded. They were terrified of women being outside of their sight for five minutes. And they had to do something to get women under control, even sleeping women. These poor women are so exhausted from the spinning. They're so controlled. But I'm just thinking about what life would have looked like, right? From the spinning and the cooking and the rising early and the baking bread. You have
0: to finish it all before December twelfth or something. like it, it's
1: before december twenty first when it's mother's night. Everyone else is feasting, but somebody has to cook who's cooking. It's you, most likely.
0: these are all just tools of the patriarchy to keep women out of the woods and down and imprisoned in the home home hearth and family. go back and listen to our gender rebel
1: series, which again, has to do with these cultures meeting, right? Because, like, we know in Celtic and Germanic cultures, there were martial women. There were women who were rulers and who were warriors. This is a big shift in where women's places were and what those places looked like. Because also women who did stay at home had a real job in ruling because the men were off at war. This is very much shifting to women only being in the house.
0: So enter the church and the degradation of Frau Holly. At one point, she was a spinner of feet. A weaver of worlds. A sky goddess who controlled the weather and brought the winter. She brings the cold. I can't really say it in a Jon Snow voice because I I just don't have a deep enough voice.
1: She brings the cold.
0: There you go. Good job, Jon Snow. Anyway, so yeah. But now the church has turned her into a witch. Women who worshipped her, even worshipped her in their sleep, according to their husbands, that's what ladies do, had to do a penance. Outright worship of Holly hadn't been stamped out yet, But it was slowly starting to happen, and men were just terrified that women were getting out from under their thumb for five minutes to worship a goddess that they did not have permission to worship. By turning her from a goddess whose worship was sacred to the crops, the weather, and in general life, into a witch who was worshipped in secret by women outside of their husband's permission, the church was able to manipulate her image and take control over her worshippers through penance and shame. Shame! 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 Martin Luther, in fact, used the imagery of Frau Halle to personify the shortfalls of the church during the Reformation, incidentally. We also suspect he was using the worship of Frau Halle and the idea of paying penance for doing so as a way to really show the corruption of the church, because this idea of paying penance for worshipping Frau Halle feels very two-faced and very much in line with the kind of reform that Martin Luther was
1: calling for. But there were actually good reasons to fear Frau Halle. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation, we hope, but that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? Anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. So we're going to go on a bit of a strange journey. While I was researching this story, I came across a website called Gods and Demons Wiki. And this is all to preface it to say, like, I didn't find this story anywhere else. So we're going to quote the whole thing verbatim. I am not sure if this comes from some local folklore or an urban legend that I can't access in English, but I wanted to include it verbatim because the story is really wild, but it's important. And it's important not to paraphrase this because it only existed on this one site and in this one source. And before you start rolling your eyes saying, come on, Jen, do better. I need you to hang in there. Because the context of this story might link back to ancient archaeology.
0: Right. So here's the real story of Frau Holly, according to Gods and Demons Wiki. This is another um, folktale about Frau Holly that might take us to a darker and older place than the one that we originally told you. Quote, Even when taking some of its variations into account, the true story of Frau Holly can still be considered as darker The tale originated in a town near the Alps, shortly after the Christianization of the region, with a small family whose patriarch had recently died, thus sending his wife and their many children into poverty shortly before the arrival of winter. No matter how hard she worked or how much she borrowed from her equally poor neighbors, the man's wife was unable to provide enough supply to last all of them through the winter, meaning that at least one of them would have to starve to death. Through unknown means, the wife was able to learn about a ritual from the winter goddess of the ancient heathens, whose name was synonymous with the goddess Frigg. It would bless them with wealth and resources to last through the winter months, even leaving some for months after, but it required the sacrifice of a maiden. Desperate, the wife had no choice but to sacrifice her eldest daughter, throwing her body into the well with a spindle placed deep inside her womb. Good lord, this is where the spindle in the vag comes from so the death may be sent as a tribute to the old goddess. Soon the ritual took its effects, and riches began to pour into the family, and they soon became the wealthiest in the village. The death of the eldest daughter was soon forgotten by all but the girl's lover. Suspicious, the man began to investigate and discovered the wife's crime, though instead of a goddess he thought she had made a deal with the devil. Though before he could present it to the elders, the wife had tricked him into her house and killed him despite guest rights before throwing his body into the well as another sacrifice to the goddess, thinking more riches will be blessed upon her. However, due to his gender and the broken vows of hospitality, the goddess saw it as an insult and a punishment fell upon the village as a whole. Weeks after his death, in the coldest days of winter, a rotten smell began to rise from the well, and when opened the lid, dozens of corpses rose up smothered in a pitch-like substance, with yellowish patches of rotting skin filled with maggots underneath. But before anything could be done about it, the corpses became alive and attacked the villagers, with the wife being the last to be killed as she was forced to watch her children brutally killed. After a single night, a town of over 20,000 people was slaughtered, and reports of witches came from surrounding areas who might be the last followers of the goddess who brought forth the destruction. Holy cow! There's a lot to unpack here. I mean, number one, there's zombies. You get spindles in the vag. I feel like there's some Cahokia vibes with the sacrificing of a girl, you know, a daughter from the family to increase the status of the family as a whole. Although obviously there can't be any cultural exchange between this culture and Cahokia, but it's real interesting that there is that pattern, right?
1: Yeah. So why did I include this very long story and make Jenny read it?
0: Because you love me and you know that that's my jam. Because
1: I know that this is literally the only Christmas present I'm giving her. No, that's a lie.
0: Look, all I need is a spindle in my vag and some zombies. That's all. I just, I don't need a lot, Jen. I'm a simple creature with simple needs.
1: And some separate heads. Hang on. Getting there. So I asked her to read this and and I included it because it tells us a lot about what might be local folklore. I'm not sure because I can't track this down. I don't speak German. I'm not the Grimm's brothers. I can't go around Germany and find out. I'm just going to
0: say that, like, a spindle in the vag would be really uncomfortable because there is a pointy end. Again,
1: we haven't advised that you do that. Safety first, if that's what you do. So, again, we included this because I couldn't find it anywhere else and I wanted to include it verbatim because it's a very dark take on the Frau Holly story. We see human sacrifice a virgin girl being killed by her mother then as jenny said having a spindle shoved up her womb and thrown into a well as you do as you do what happens afterwards well for a time there is prosperity and things are going really well everyone sort of forgets about this dead girl except for her lover and he is like are we all just gonna ignore the girl who disappeared off the face of the
0: earth we're just gonna pretend my girlfriend never
1: existed never existed. Yeah. Uh, he starts investigating and his suspicion leads to his eventual murder. And that chain of events leads us to dead bodies floating up from a well, potential plague, zombies, and all this woman's children being killed before her eyes and a town wiped out. So I wanted to include this. Because to me, this story kind of feels like a bridge between the Grimm's fairy tale of Frau Holly. This is a holiday episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy Yule. Happy holidays. So I wanted to include this in our holiday episode because it feels like a bridge between that Grimm's fairy tale of Frau Holly and potentially maybe some ancient pagan worship of this goddess, this all-powerful goddess. Because... Frau Holly, she can help you, but she demands some kind of tribute. One, maybe people were willing to pay in dark times. The girl's lover in this story, to me, feels very much like a symbol of the church. He's here to point out how wrong it is to sacrifice this girl and how wrong it is that no one notices or cares as long as they have a good harvest, I guess. His murder and the eventual wrath of God, or wrath of goddess from Frau Holly, that comes down upon the village shows how ancient pagan rites and worship led to maybe evil things. How the how the girl's greedy mother covers up her crimes pretty much leads to her downfall because she breaks those ancient guest rites like
0: the law of Xenia, right?
1: Yeah, essentially, she's broken these very ancient. uh, I mean, we know Xenia from the Greco Roman stuff, but there there apparently seems to be something Celtic uh, Germanic here as well. She's broken an ancient right, and that is potentially what makes Halling angrier than anything else.
0: Right, the right of, like, you know, guests to stay in your home without being murdered. It's
1: not a lot to ask. No! To me, this story is a really interesting blend of ancient culture butting up against modern Christian culture. And when I saw this, I just couldn't look away. I was really like, I need to figure out... If I can substantiate any of this story, I literally texted Jenny like super late at night because I work very late at night sometimes. And I was like, I this story is wild. I want to include it. I don't know if I can make it make sense. And she's like, just include it anyway. So it's the quality of work we do here on Ancient History Fangirl. Sometimes it is. We give you the caveats. Anyway, I do think this story is kind of a way station. It's a stopping place before the stories of Frau Holly became sanitized enough for children, i.e. fairy tales, and what her original worship might have looked like. And I was like, mm, how am I going to fit this in? And then I found an article about human sacrifice and I thought, maybe, just maybe, this story might be onto something.
0: You know, I love this episode. It's a very Alaric Christmas and there's something for me everywhere. There's Alaric of the Visigoths, there's Spindles in the Veg, there's Human Sacrifice. It's just everything I want in a Christmas episode. I
1: know. I literally like sent this to Jenny as an episode and I was like, I sent her a, a picture Frau Holly at the well and I was like, this is just a very Alaric Christmas and I think you're going to love it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, in the article, Ritual Cannibalism in
0: Europe, A Female Goddess of Death Might Hide in German Fairy Tales by C. Voitmann. This is the best. This is the best Christmas episode we've ever done. It's the reason for the season, you guys. Human sacrifice and death goddesses. We find evidence of human sacrifice connected to the worship of Frau Holly. The article discusses Kiffhauser Mountain. I probably am mispronouncing that, but I'm just going to say it like that. This is a mountain range in Germany with a lot of legends attached to it. It's said to be the resting place of Barbarossa, an emperor who was killed on a crusade. According to the Brothers Grimm, one day he'll wake up, hang his shield on a barren tree, which will then burst into flower, and a better time will come. Sounds really familiar, right? I mean, I'm getting some vibes here, like maybe a little bit of a white Christian savior vibe,
1: maybe a King Arthur vibe. Yeah, I've also seen like Wagner's and the Hall of the Mountain King vibe here as well. And I just feel like, yeah, no, I I get what you're putting down. But what if I was to tell you, Jen, that, you know, the most important legend
0: about this mountain that we're concerned with right now might have nothing to do with an emperor and more to do with a blood-hungry ancient fertility goddess? Have I got your attention now?
1: Always.
0: Always. On the steep, snowy western slope of the mountain, there is a secret. There are a series of interconnected crevices and caves that run upwards up the mountain and lead to a 15-meter-high, empty cleft. It's now secured by an iron grate to prevent people from falling in or entering the site. But this wasn't the case in the 1950s when something remarkable was found.
1: In the 1950s, it was discovered that the cave was filled to the brim with offerings. And these offerings were from across a long period of history. These offerings made it easy to see that this cave and mountain were probably a super cult site at one point in time. And this is a quote, again, from the the earlier article we mentioned. Quote, The most remarkable finds date, however, mainly from the Bronze Age and early Iron Age, between 1200 and 1000 BC. In addition to pottery and stone tools, remains of roasted grain Birch bark boxes and spinning whorls. Numerous human bones with traces of cuts and burns were found, the contextualization of which suggests that the youthful victims fell prey to ritual cannibalism. Approximately 15,000 human skeleton parts from at least 130, mostly juvenile victims, who had been violently killed by bronze axes or blunt tools, such as stone clubs or similar, were found. The bones were shattered, burnt, and showed traces of cuts, which indicate a post-mortem fragmentation. Based on these findings, this cave was not a normal burial site. These people were victims of ritual cannibalism. We know this because there are other sites that show us what normal burials look like in this area, and they did not look like this.
0: That is some hardcore metal
1: shit. Right? I found this article and I was just texting bits of it to Jenny and I was like, I cannot believe what I'm reading. And to be fair, all of the sources cited in this article are in German. I could only read the English version of it. So I don't know (laughs) exactly what the German sources said, but the English version is wild.
0: The German source might be about bones in Egypt that weren't even tested for radiation. You don't know.
1: <laughs> Potentially. But I mean, it did look quite scholarly. And I think it came from a site like archaeologicalmysteries.com. I'm not exactly sure what it was. But I have seen a few people trying to make essentially Frau Holly and human sacrifices connect in some way. And then this, I read this article and I was like, whoa.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's spindle whorls and child sacrifices, which I'm really seeing kind of echoed in these myths in a weird way.
1: And the folklore.
0: Absolutely. So C. Voigtman goes on to say, quote, According to the prehistorian professor Gunter Bemblock, I'm so sorry, I probably screwed up that person's name too. The predecessors of the Germanic tribes in the region, the Illyrians, are supposed to have sacrificed here to a chthonic goddess of fertility. This can be concluded, among other things, from a wooden spinning whorl that was found at the site. Such an object was once the symbol of the wool and destiny-spinning underworld deities, and might here refer to the fertility goddess into whose underground dwelling holy caves, lakes, and swamps led. Hmm, connection to that well, interesting. These Illyrians later became part of the Celts and Germanic tribes, so this was even before they were Celtic, I guess. The old Illyrian mother goddess was similar to the Germanic goddess, and so it can be assumed that the goddess, later probably under another name, was also worshipped later on in the region. For instance, in the sacrificial moor near the famous Oberdorla, where a large female idol with a bronze necklace was found.
1: So all of these points are really important because here we can see a lot of blending and cultural exchange. The Celts, Greeks, and Romans all believed that caves were entrances to the underworld. They also had deities who spun and potentially lived in the underworld, who were associated with fate. I mean, in Greek mythology, literally the fates or the mori, and fertility. Anyone heard of Persephone? Hmm. You can see here how the story of Frau Holly and her association with lakes and wells was solidified. Remember when we mentioned that the big important thing about Frau Holly in her fairy tale was her teeth? really big teeth well it's possible that this is because she comes from an ancient cannibal goddess who was known for her big teeth used to eat children
0: this is fascinating
1: merry yuletide
0: (laughs) it's a holiday episode from ancient history fangirl bring the kids so a
1: Again, remember when we talked about Frau Holly being the goddess of babies and children who died young? Did they die young? Did they die young because they got sacrificed to Frau Holly? Maybe? Maybe. And again, Frau Holly is very much in modern culture. I'm not saying this is true. I'm just, I'm just saying there's a possibility.
0: There's some intriguing archaeological evidence.
1: Frau Holly, in some stories, sits on a throne at the bottom of a well surrounded by the children who died and now live with her. It's easy to believe that this is kind of a comforting story about a kind goddess looking after children who died young, particularly because times were so harsh and infant and child mortality rates were very high. But... Is there something darker at play here? Maybe.
0: Methinks Frau Holly is perhaps wearing a
1: mask. I mean, the Catholic Church would be like, yes! <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the ancient Catholic Church would be like, this is why we told you not to worship her. Hmm, look at those big teeth. The big teeth don't lie. My, what big teeth you have, Frau Holly.
0: The better to eat your children with, my dear. <laughs> Knocks errors. Anyway, C. Voigtman continues in his article breaking down other sites that might have to do with Frau Holly and her connection to human sacrifices. Quote, The fact that sagas and legends can survive over such a long period of time is shown by the... Good lord. I'm just going to say Cave of Virgins.
1: I give you all of this on purpose.
0: Is shown by the Cave of Virgins in Upper Franconia. The cave was a Neolithic cult site of the band Ceramist's is that a band name?
1: Uh, a type of ceramist. Yeah,
0: I think it's a it's a culture like defined by some kind of ceramics that they made.
1: Yeah, I think they're like a it's a type of ceramics. Like remember when I talked about the grooved ceramics? It's kind of the same thing.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so this was a Neolithic cult site in which skeletons of mostly young girls were found. Their skulls were shattered and some tubular bones were fragmented, giving rise to the assumption that the bone marrow had been removed. The astonishing fact is that even before the discovery of the human remains, there existed local legends about headless female ghosts haunting the area of the cave. From this, it can be deduced that the knowledge of the sacrificial ritual was handed down orally for about 6,150 years. And that just kills me, you know, because I feel like we've been finding this all throughout this mystery season about mythology that is an echo of history. And it's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of the theme I learned with these ancient mysteries. It's how does the mythology and the history and the culture blend together? And what does that look like?
0: Yeah, because I feel like the mythology here is like a seminal fever dream of stuff that was really dark that happened before. Like the fact that it's it's girls that she targets, the big teeth and the children, the drawing children into the other world and the spindles and the human sacrifice, like it all kind of ties together in this really spooky way that feels like it comes out of your own subconscious, doesn't it?
1: It does. I mean, again, this is all... In some ways, conjecture, but the archaeology tells us something.
0: Yeah. And indeed, and going back to this quote here, so, quote, And indeed, in what concerns burials from the Liechtenstein cave near Osterode, I'm sure I mispronounced that, which dates from the same time as the sacrifices in the Kiffhauser cave, scientists could prove by DNA analysis that people who are directly related to the buried people still live within sight of the cave. The events at the sacrificial cave at the Kiffhauser are much younger than those at the Cave of Virgins. It might be deduced that the Frau Holly saga could be the account of the cannibalistic human sacrifices packaged in a fairy tale form so that children would not be too frightened.
1: Yeah, so there you have it. Happy Yule. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Frau Holly might have been an ancient goddess who required human sacrifices a goddess of the sky and the underworld, a goddess whose worship was literally underground, and perhaps something to be feared. However, her gifts to her worshippers were life-giving harvest, weather, and the rebirth of the world.
0: Frau Holly is still very much celebrated in modern times. So today, Frau Holly is a prominent figure in some Wiccan and pagan worship. Her name is used all over the place in Germanic countries as a tribute to her folklore. She's a part of Yule celebrations, and you can visit her bewitching pond with a giant statue to her on the fairy tale Trail in Germany. The stories say that Frau Holly's castle is at the bottom of this pond. It's a little bit of a callback to the most ancient times. You can hike to Frau Stein on the Hagberg Ridge in Lower Franconia, which is a depression in the rocks that's supposed to be where Frau Holly rested her basket and help those in need. Look how nice the giant-toothed cannibal goddess is.
1: (laughs) So, Frau Holly spent a lot of time disappeared from her ancient roots, preserved only as a figure of folklore. But those tales kept her legend alive. They kept her alive, worshipped and celebrated in a new way, waiting for a time when her story could be told again a time when she could be a goddess in her own right again. So that's it for this week. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Happy
0: holidays. Happy Yule. Happy Yule. Yo, Saturnalia. Yo, Saturnalia. (laughs) Praise Saturn. (laughs) Join us next week for our final mystery of the season because we're in fact not done. We have one more.
1: One more to go.
0: Before we let you guys out of our grip.
1: And it's a really good one. It's a culmination of so many things.
0: Find us on social at fan on Twitter and Ancient History Fangirl on Facebook and Instagram. Do we have any Patreon members to thank, Jen? No, you
1: got them all <laughs> in the other episode.
0: No Patreon members to thank, but if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl. We vastly appreciate your support. That's how we keep the lights on over here. Thank you.
1: Thank you, and we will see you next week.
0: Happy holidays.